it's pretty hard to get people to invest in something if they can't see it, touch it and feel it. And so what we did is we we started, we declared in May of 2011 that in September of 2011, we were going to hold a summit. And we at the time had uh, no money. Uh, we had no experience at hosting summits. We didn't know how to recruit speakers. We didn't know how to design programs. Um, but we had a sense of urgency, a willingness to take a, take risk. Those two elements plus an idea um, really helped us get Concordia off the ground. Welcome to the Green Hour, a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. Hey guys, I'm Preston Pogue, and on the show today, we will dive into the world of Concordia and explore the power of private-public collaboration. We'll take a deep dive into Concordia's mission to foster cross-sector partnerships for lasting social impact, going far beyond just sustainability. Together, we'll uncover how Concordia is bringing together leaders from all sectors to address the biggest challenges of our time. From tackling sustainability and environmental issues, to shaping policy and promoting collaboration, Concordia is at the forefront of driving positive change. We'll also explore the incredible initiatives launched through the Concordia Annual Summit, providing a platform for impactful partnerships and innovative solutions. If you think back to your childhood about the first encounter you had with entrepreneurship, what would it be? Most people get the picture of a lemonade stand in their head as it is the prototype of the American dream. Kids standing on a sidewalk with a table holding a mixture of water, sugar, and lemon juice. Lemonade stands teach kids valuable business lessons like pricing strategy, supply chain management, inventory management, and customer service. When I think back to my childhood, I can remember working lemonade stands, but I also remember the digital version found on coolmath.com where you would set the price of the lemonade based on external factors like weather and traffic. You would have to control the inventory on a daily basis and deal with shortages and spoilage, and you would have to set a strategy for how to use profits. In 2004, two best friends were attending an all-boys boarding school in Connecticut when they saw their own lemonade stand opportunity. The snack options available to students at the school were subpar at best, and they were growing tired of the lack of healthy alternatives. The two best friends decided to start an after-school snack business where they could take orders and deliver snacks to students. Sound familiar? Maybe it's because you ordered on Uber Eats or DoorDash in the past week. This concept was just that, except by foot. The business was successful and landed the two boys the restaurant concession in a new student center on campus. Within two years of launch, revenues amassed $350,000 the two best friends had conquered the lemonade stand. One of these individuals is the guest on the Green Hour today, and his name is Matthew Swift. Matthew is the co-founder and CEO of Concordia, a global convener of heads of state, government officials, C-suite executives, and leaders of nonprofits, think tanks, and foundations to find cross-sector solutions to address the biggest challenges of our time. 
Matthew has been referred to as the partnership architect by TED Talks for his work bringing cross-sector leaders together. Among the leaders that have spoken at the Concordia Annual Summit are former U.S. President George W. Bush, former U.S. President Bill Clinton, current U.S. President Joe Biden, and former U.K. Prime Minister Tony Blair. The presidents of Brazil, Colombia, Chile, Peru, Ghana, Rwanda, and Liberia have also appeared, as have business legends Warren Buffett, George Soros, and Airbnb co-founder Joe Jabia. Entertainers Jennifer Lawrence, Jamila Jamel, and Chris Paul have all spoken at the summit. And let's not forget Ivanka Trump, Laura Trump, and First Ladies Jill Biden, Laura Bush, and Hillary Clinton. So how did the Concordia Annual Summit become the largest and most inclusive nonpartisan forum alongside the United Nations General Assembly? It all goes back to Matthew Swift's entrepreneurial spirit. Following the success of the after-school snack business, Matthew found his way in the media industry and spent a brief stint of his career there, holding positions within News Corporation. Matthew and his best friend Nicholas Logothetis started Concordia fresh out of college. If you're wondering if that is the same friend from the after-school snack business, it is. The two have grown Concordia into one of the most successful forums in the world. Matthew Swift's exceptional drive and work ethic have been evident through his remarkable journey from his early days in the after-school snack business to his ascent in the media industry and ultimately the growth of Concordia. Matthew's relentless pursuit of excellence is a testament to the impact of one's environment. Throughout his life, he has consistently sought out opportunities and surroundings that foster success, propelling him to new heights. Matthew's story serves as an inspiring reminder of the power of determination and the influence our environment can have on our personal and professional growth. I grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, both of my um, parents decided to, to move to Charlottesville because my, my father had attended the University of Virginia and was a very, very proud graduate of the university and I think wanted his kids to grow up um, in, in that kind of environment in a, in a smaller university town. So I was extremely blessed uh, growing up in a beautiful part of the country uh, and also a historic part of the country. And uh, it was there that I, um, I, I had a, a, a great childhood and, and great uh, set of experiences um, that then led me to going to a high school in Connecticut uh, called Salisbury School, which is a small all-boys boarding school in the northwest corner of Connecticut, which uh, it was that experience and the people that I met there that had a transformational impact on my life. Um, and we can certainly get back to that. Uh, and then from there, I went and attended Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and Georgetown being at that intersection of, of politics, foreign policy, um, and, and really the geopolitical capital of the world. It was an uh, immense honor and important opportunity um, to be able to, to meet some incredible people, study under some remarkable professors, uh, including the first female Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, uh, um, the former Prime Minister of Spain, Jose Maria Aznar, and the former President of Poland, Alexander Kwasniewski. And it was there that I was able to really use my uh, passion for entrepreneurship um, and, and, and starting my own organization, uh, where a lot of that was, um, was cultivated, encouraged, and, and tremendous opportunity came from all of that. 
So, so you touched on this passion of entrepreneurship. I want to dive back into um, when you were in school at this boarding school in Connecticut. Um, and what I read was um, with your best friend at the time at the school, you started an after school snack business on campus and, you know, it was extremely successful. You ended up, you know, achieving revenues of, I think, $350,000 um, within just two years of launching and profits were donated to charity. So, that's kind of wild to think of, you know, an, an after school snack business and you grow it that much in two years. So could you touch on that a little bit and, you know, how this passion of entrepreneurship started when you were young and you've just molded it throughout your life? I think that so much of it was first having great parents and a great upbringing where um, it, it was always encouraged that if I put my mind to something and work hard enough uh, that you can achieve anything. And I think that that is that that is not something that is was uh well i think that's something that is so consistent with growing up in the united states and part of part of being an american and i think that that was instilled in me from a very young age by my by my parents by my grandparents as well um and and then it's it's really about the people and who you meet and so when i when i went to boarding school i met a, a young guy named nick logothetis and myself with Nick and also a gentleman named Michael Katzenberg, we launched a snack business uh, in an environment where you didn't really have a lot of alternative options. And so schools can be, um, you know, many, many worlds in themselves. Right. And, and so uh, what we what we first offered was a service by which you could order food that would be delivered to your room uh, after study hall. Uh, and so each night, uh, six nights a week, you had two hours of what was called study hall. But at the end of study hall and before lights out, you had a small but important distinct window by which you can kind of do whatever you want. And so we offered uh, a food delivery service that brought food to directly to your dorm room. Uh, it grew from there and expanded into really a full service uh, food operation and, and, and even as far as a, a restaurant as well. Um, and we didn't, and just as a point of correction, we did not give all our profits to charity, but what we did is we learned a set of lessons from the very beginning about life, about business, about work. And I think back to those years and they were some of the most important in my life because you, it, there is nothing better than direct experience and, and how to learn lessons. And I remember learning a real, a few really important lessons, um, you know, how to keep a balance sheet how to track profit and loss, how to track which products sell versus which don't, how to track your costs, how to set your wages for the people that work for you. Um, but also when we frankly started making uh, what certainly for anybody is is a pretty good amount of money, um, you, you also learn that it's important to give back to the community. So we we, we made important philanthropic efforts to, to give some of that money back to the community and, and proud of doing that. Uh, the thing that I, in terms of the legacy of that business and what that looks like, I think one of the most important pieces to that that still stands to this day is there at the school that we all attended, uh, there is, and we started the business, there is a two-year program that teaches students about entrepreneurship. And as part of that program, students uh, have to draft a business plan, submit that business plan, and if approved, start start their businesses. And so you've seen a whole set of businesses come out of it. But more importantly, a great set of experiences, I think, that 
that help create well-rounded individuals uh, coming out of coming out of Salisbury School today. So really proud of that legacy. But think back often to the incredible lessons learned um, at that time, and 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 even thinking back to to the innocence of that time, how much we didn't know, uh, but we learned in the process. Right, right. It, it sounds like you were Uber Eats and DoorDash before those were even a thing back then. So, yeah, except except by foot, we didn't. We 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 had no we had no automobile transportation at the time. Yeah. Right. Um, and and you touch on entrepreneurship and the value, like like value that that y'all have created at this school. And, you know, this two year program now that you know these these kids can learn entrepreneurship. One thing I'm very thankful of is throughout college, I went to the University of Pikeville in uh, Eastern Kentucky. And um, I got my MBA in entrepreneurship. And a lot of people, people told me like, look, why are you getting an MBA in entrepreneurship? You know, that's, it's too broad. Like you want to be specialized, but I'm so thankful that I did because like you're saying, I learned how to, to build a business plan. I learned how to look at a problem, find a solution and build something out of it. So, um, you know, I, I would say exactly to your point, entrepreneurship is the American dream. Entrepreneurship is how the world works and it's capitalism, right? So all of those things are, are very important. Um, and then, you know, taking what you said um, and business that y'all created, and it looks like both of both you and your, your best friend caught the attention of Rupert Murdoch and y'all were both accepted for internships at Fox News, um, which is also incredible. Um, so can you talk a little bit on that and how that came to be? Of course, no. It's um, uh, first off. I just want to say I've been to the University of Pikeville. Uh, okay. It's an incredible, uh, incredible school, great institution, and uh, and I really enjoyed my time visiting visiting campus a few years ago. So uh, congratulations on uh, you're now an alum of yes University of Pikeville now. Great. Um, so congratulations on that because it's a great institution. Uh, so. The media interest was always something that that had captivated me and captivated Nick, one of my co-founders in the snack business in high school. And so we both agreed that in the in the summers we 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 weren't the we weren't the types to uh, to to go to to go to camp or uh, to to you know go 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 do different things. What we wanted to really do is get started in our careers, um, even though we were so young because we were still in high school at the time. But we wanted to work in media. And we both shared a deep love of news, of geopolitics, of, polit- of U.S. politics, of current events. And so we, we went and we tried to apply for internships at CNN. Um, and this was back in 2003. Um, we were turned down from internships at CNN, probably for, for very good reason, because we were so young. Um, but we, we then applied for internships at the Fox News Channel. And Fox News Channel at that time was really just starting to become the dominant cable news channel. CNN had been around since the early 1980s, and MSNBC had been formed the same year that Fox News was formed uh, as a joint partnership between Microsoft and General Electric. So it was a very competitive environment. So at that point, especially with things like the Iraq war going on at that time, Fox News was really coming into its own. So I was assigned to a, a room called the Tape Library, and Nick was assigned to uh, to a show hosted by Geraldo Rivera, and uh, his job was to log tapes, which means that you watch uh, you watch tapes and you type everything that happens on those tapes, everything said, every movement, um, everything that happens. You have to type it up into a log. Um, 
And if you thought that was a, a, a rather painful job, then you should go to the tape library, which was about three levels down below ground. And it was a vault of about 80,000 uh, VHS tapes. Uh, you're so you're so young, Preston, you, you probably don't even know what a VHS tape is. Um, and and so it was a giant vault of these tapes. And my job was a request would come through on the computer and it would be from a producer and it would say, I want footage of President George W. Bush coming off of uh, Air Force One. And I would have to look into the system at all the tape logs and find that footage, go find that tape and cue that tape up to the point where the B-roll has the footage of President Bush coming off Air Force One. And then I had to take that tape and deliver it to whichever producer requested it. Now, of course, today it doesn't exist anymore because everything is digital so that I don't know what's going on in the vault these days. But um, it, it was an incredible experience to just be in the action of a 24 hour news channel. There's there's nothing quite like the energy of a newsroom of a 24 hour news channel. I mean, it was just and at age 16 or however old I was at the time. It was just an incredible experience from there. We had a chance, but really interesting opportunity to meet some of the executives of Fox News Channel. And then eventually, yes, you are right. We had an opportunity to meet Rupert Murdoch, the chairman and CEO of News Corporation, uh, which at the time was the most international media company on the planet. Mm-hmm. And here is an entrepreneur who took a, a, a newspaper business of one newspaper in Adelaide, Australia and turned it into the most global media company in the world, spanning 20th Century Fox, British Sky Broadcasting, Fox News Channel, uh, Star, India, you name it. And it was an incredible experience. It led to a a, a series of internships at various news corporation companies, um, taught me so much. Although I have to say, I probably learned more with the snack business, but it taught me so much and gave me so many incredible opportunities um, which I'm really grateful for. So after those internships, did you find a career in media um, right after those internships with, with these different media companies, or did you jump right into Concordia? So coming out of college, jumped right into Concordia. Um, I think that there was no question wanting to um, be an entrepreneur. Um, I, I think the sort of the big corporate ladder at the time wasn't for me and uh, wasn't for Nick. And so we wanted to start something together. So we launched Concordia um, and we, I remember we filed all the paperwork in early 2011 and like a lot of entrepreneurs in the process, you, uh, you, you can oftentimes overthink things. You can, you can spend too much time trying to put on paper exactly how everything's going to work. When so often that's until you start doing it, there is no way to know what's going to work or not. Now, that's a scary proposition because that means you got to take a lot of risk. You got to put yourself out there. You got to be willing to fail. And so that was a time where we spent we spent a lot of time putting the concept together for Concordia. And we went to so many people to say, what do you think of this? What do you think of our concept? And it was pretty universal that most people thought it was a bad idea. Most people thought that it was an idea that was already being done by others. The idea of of creating an institution that breaks down barriers between the public and private sectors, that that convenes leaders from governments and from companies and from nonprofits to talk about some of the most pressing issues of our time and using convening to do it. 
um, a lot of people felt it was already done. And what what we then learned from that experience is we we aren't we're selling an idea on a piece of paper, but that's not enough. You have to have a prototype. No different than if you're building a a chip or you're creating a food business. It's pretty hard to get people to invest in something if they can't see it, touch it, and feel it. And so what we did is we we started we declared in May of 2011 that in September of 2011 we were going to hold a summit. And we at the time had uh, no money. Uh, we had no experience at hosting summits. We didn't know how to recruit speakers. We didn't know how to design programs. Um, but we had a sense of urgency, a willingness to take a, take risk, um, and and that uh, has that those those two elements plus an idea um, really helped us get Concordia off the ground. You talk about building a prototype and then actually putting something out there to see if it works or not, not being afraid to fail. And I can remember after I graduated with my MBA last May, uh, my first ever job was running a golf company. I'm not a golfer. Um, I wish I could play golf, but I'm, I'm horrible. But, you know, they put me in charge of this golf company. I was the only employee. Um, and they, they said, Preston, look, you need to scrap everything that was this company and rebuild it from the ground up. And I remember, you know, drawing out sketches for new products, building prototypes, you know, figuring out a new logo, new branding, new website, everything. And, you know, I was trying to figure out what material we were going to use for our base product. You know, one material was, it was more expensive, but it was a better product, um, but it was also um, heavier and it would, it would have made shipping and packaging difficult. So I remember meeting with our CEO of our company um, and he was like, Preston, just put something out on the market. Who cares if, I don't even care if it fails, just put it on the market and we're going to see what happens. And that kind of caused a disconnect with my boss because my boss is like, no, no, we, we've got to do the research. We have to look at the market and we have to put um, something out there that's, that's going to be successful. Um, so I wanted to include that in there because, you know, our C, my CEO at the time was, was trying to instill in me, do not be afraid to fail. If you yeah. fail, we can go back to the drawing board. And now we have that information that we need to build a better product. And, you know, all of that, it, it really helped me um, and, and it's going to continue, yeah. continue to help me along my journey. And, you know, I wanted to get into, Matthew, how I found Concordia and, and found you. It's actually pretty funny. I talked about the University of Pikeville, um, but really the, the person that I interacted with that opened up my eyes to Concordia was Nate Morris. Um, and Nate Morris spoke at my undergraduate commencement ceremony. Um, he was yeah. the commencement speaker. And I'll be honest with you, before I heard Nate speak, you could have talked about trash, sustainability, ESG, and I would have said, I don't care. Like, I don't care, whatever. But after hearing Nate speak on how trash and waste is an opportunity um, and not something to be ignored, really opened up my eyes and flashed back to, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago, um, Nate and Rubicon hosted a pitch competition at University of Pikeville, um, basically for students to submit concepts for sustainable materials management in the Appalachian region. And I ended up submitting an application, submitting a business plan. And I ended up winning the competition and, you know, meeting Nate, meeting the team at um, Rubicon. You know, from that, all of that really opened up my mind to sustainability. And I really have Nate to thank for even this podcast because, you know, he opened up my mind to sustainability and, you know, interacting with Nate on LinkedIn, following him, I started to see 
Concordia. And I started to see um, see your name a lot and, and see the, the valuable work that you and your team are doing. And I was like, wow, this is really this is really cool what Concordia is. You're bringing together all of these different people from different industries, from different places of the world and bring them into like a big think tank where people can learn and people can be educated. Um, and it's also it's also pretty funny um, bouncing off Nate Morris. Two of my guests that I've had on the podcast um, are both involved at Concordia. Um, which Max Castro Paradis and Emma Ernst um, both. Yeah, both of course. So uh, it's 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 a real, it's a very uh, small world. It's full circle. It it, it kind of makes you laugh because you can look back and all of these little dots that are connecting um, and brought us brought us here sitting today. No, of course that's great. And listen, you you um, I'm not surprised Nate had that impact on you. He's an incredible entrepreneur and visionary. Um, and, uh, and, and, and as you alluded to, uh, things come from connecting. I, w- I was recently reading a book, which talked a lot about the distinction between networking versus connecting. Sometimes networking seems to have almost a bad connotation as if you have some sort of agenda. I don't think it does. I think networking is a great word. Um, but if you, if you shift it to talking about connecting, I think connecting is the only way anything gets done. And people that don't understand that, I think, fail to really imagine all that is possible through the people you meet and the connections that you develop. And I think that's that's a really key element to all of this. And so um, I think that, uh, you know, I think it's great how you've connected those dots. I think connecting those dots is really important and, uh, uh, and, and, and proud of you for doing so. So, so enough about me. Um, I, I, won't, I won't talk any more about me and my story, but I really want to get into to you, Matthew, and really look at Concordia. So could you give a brief about what Concordia is and what your mission for the organization is? Of course. So Concordia is a, a nonpartisan organization that advances market-driven solutions to some of the most complex issues of our time. And if you look at the headlines today, you can see a lot of complex issues that require really important uh, solutions to how to address those issues. And I think that there is, um, this is a really critical time to bring people together, to advance connection points between people. And we at Concordia use convening as the way to do that. We hold summits all around the world that bring together oftentimes unlikely collaborators and partners to evaluate how they can address issues, how what are creative responses or market-driven responses, frankly, to those issues, and what does that look like? We are most known for our annual summit in New York, which is held each September, and that summit brings together over 3,500 leaders with representatives of over 90 countries now addressing some of those very, very important issues, but also through that lens of how market-driven solutions are oftentimes the most important uh, tools to be used to address those issues. So if you're talking about sustainability in the environment, if you're talking about the future of technology and society and AI, uh, and I could go on and on, what, what are the market answers to those issues? And how can we help break down some of the barriers between the public and private sectors to use those solutions uh, to really drive important and positive results. Uh, we also hold a series of summits all around the world, including Europe, Latin America, uh, specifically one in the Amazon rainforest, and then one specifically focused on the United States, 
and we see convening as an art form. We are not a research institute. We do not take positions on specific subjects. We have really focused on perfecting the model of convening, and that's uh, that's been a really important uh, component to our to our thirteen years of growth. Well, what I read, Matthew, was and in going back a little bit to what you said in, in the earlier part of the episode on starting Concordia and that whole story with you and your best friend. Um, what I read was that first summit in 2011 in September, that was the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And you really mm-hmm. wanted to focus this first summit on building building uh, partnerships against mm-hmm. extremism. Mm-hmm. So was 9-11 and that whole that whole debacle, was that really a driver for building Concordia? And, you know, how did how did that all come to light? I think it was certainly an inspiration to the initial theme that we had with our first summit, which was the role of the private sector in combating extremism. And 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 yes, it was important and symbolic timing with the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Um I uh I was in just starting uh high school or just wrapping up middle school when 9-11 happened. And, and because I've always had this passion for, for news and world events, um, of course, it had a, a very significant impact on me. But the founding of Concordia is really centered on something that I think both Nick and myself learned through the different opportunities we have been fortunate to have between the universities that we attended, the internships that we had, the the, the exposure that we were so fortunate to have at a young age. And I think that what we saw was that the private sector brings solutions to so many issues that companies, big companies, small companies, medium-sized companies uh, can oftentimes uh, bring about solutions to different issues that can be game-changing when it comes to critical problems the world is facing. And that is something that has started to become more and more of a, of a trend and more common in the United States. But if you go to other parts of the world, it is, it is really not, uh, not even a consideration. And so the founding tenets of Concordia was based on that, that the private sector has solutions to different issues that are in so many ways not, um, not being addressed or, or, um, approached and that that is that is something that needs to change and how do we use convening to change it so looking back at 2011 till now i mean you have a you have a summit the europe summit here in yeah. i guess a couple of weeks june 15th i wanted to ask how the concordia summit has evolved over time because i mean y'all been doing it for now um what is it almost almost 12 years um 13 come, come, or 13 years so how has it evolved over that time? And it's obviously had substantial growth, um, but what have you seen and, and what have been some challenges during that, during that 13 years? First, I think that uh, I'm, I'm proud to say that if I look back at the founding of Concordia to today, we are still very much focused on our mission and our, uh, our work. And, and, and we, we are still quite true to that original founding mission. Like any entrepreneurial endeavor, we've taken quite a, it's been a roller coaster ride. We went for a period of time where we thought about becoming a research institute. We went through a period of time where we held an annual index. Uh, we went through a period of time where we launched various action funds. But we kept going back to the same thing, which is what is the value that we bring to the table? And I think that that 
is a really important element when being an entrepreneur, which is what is your value and how do you how do you bring it to the table? And our value kept going back to this theme of convening. That is our value. Uh, that is where we bring value to people and to the institutions that we are involved in. And so by sticking very strongly to that, um, we have found, uh, and, and by being very mission focused, we have found uh, that that we can be quite successful at all of that. So I think a lot of any any entrepreneur who doesn't try different things, and again, to our point earlier in this conversation, be willing to fail at something. And I don't even I don't even look at some of those different iterations of things that we did at Concordia as failures. I looked at them as important lessons learned and and a reiteration of of us sticking to our core mission, which is is holding summits. So with one of your big value points being convening, you know, how did how did Concordia approach the COVID-19 uh, pandemic where yeah. you couldn't convene in person face to face? Because yeah. I know a lot of organizations had a, a lot of a lot of trouble. I know for my organization, um, the golf company that I was that I was running, you know, we didn't have a problem of convening, but we had a problem of supply chain issues. So every company had a different different way to solve the issues and they, they all had a different problem. But you know, with your with your big value add being convening and that face to face interaction, you know how how did y'all go about the COVID nineteen pandemic um, when you couldn't come face to face? So, um, you know, at first it was a really challenging time. It was very difficult to know what we were going to do in that moment because at every turn in Concordia's history, we had always doubled down our focus on convening in person. And, and so we had actually, as an, as an organization, invested almost nothing into digital platforms um, because we, we, again, we saw our value at as, as being in-person facilitators. Um, one of the advantages of being a small, lean, and entrepreneurial team is we were able to quickly go back to the drawing board and say, okay, what do we do now? And then one of the most important elements that we learned in this process also is how to bring a community along with us in the process. And that was very, very important. It was actually a, a member of the board of directors at Concordia who, who uh, really helped me understand more about how to bring people along in the process. Her name is Caroline Skellen. And she, you know, it sounds like such a simple theme, but it, but by looking at every situation we encountered through the lens of how do we bring everyone along in the process, um, it, it was invaluable uh, to to how we were able to to explain to our community, and I remember the first note that we sent out to our community was, "We're going to go digital. We have no idea how to do it. We'll be in touch with what we're doing when we figure it out." And and for some that might feel vulnerable or high risk, but in my view, that was just being authentic. And I think if this time calls for anything, it is being authentic. Um, and I'm very proud of Concordia's track record of that. We know our lane. We know what we are here to do and we know our objective. Um, and, and that has kept us uh, fiercely nonpartisan. That has kept us uh, uniquely positioned to convene on a wide array of issues in ways that other organizations simply don't have the authority to do. And that is, that is why I have very, very high hopes for where Concordia is going today. So, I mean, talking about COVID-19, COVID-19 really shifted entire businesses, business plans. So they, I mean, business models yeah. and businesses had to find solutions fast or they were going to be irrelevant. Right. So it sounds like this digital transformation and COVID, 
you know, it really helped. It's really going to help um, grow Concordia in, in the summit to where it could be. Because now, I mean, from what I've seen just on LinkedIn, I could I could tune into a summit online without yeah. even being there. Um, and yeah. that's that's a phenomenal thing because not everybody can can fly up to, let's say, New York or to Europe. Well, and I think that, listen, I, I am happy about the fact that we have so many offerings coming that that do allow for for us to build a more inclusive community through digital platforms. However, we were also one of the very first institutions to really get back to in person. September 2021, we were back to holding our meeting in person. And that was because I do not think that digital forums and summits is in any way uh, a replacement of in-person convening and connecting. I, I do not believe that you can you can replicate it. Uh, I think that you can do a lot, but I, I don't think there is anything that could come in the place of in-person connecting. And so we got right back to in-person as fast as humanly possible. And so very, very proud of that and what that looks like um, and, and what that represents and means for us. Um, so yes, we still have the digital options and it's, and it's invaluable. It's great that you can, you can stay and you don't have to necessarily get on a plane to benefit from the content that we develop, but it's no replacement for coming in person. So looking at, um, again, we, we just talked about the Europe um, initiative, the Europe summit that is about to be held in, on June 15th um, in Spain. Can we dive into all of the different initiatives that Concordia has in these different areas of the world? I mean, you have the Americas, the Europe, the Amazon, you have the United States and the Africa, um, all, all five of these initiatives. Um, and I kind of want to unpack and figure out what all of these initiatives are and how they differ from each other. Because I know that every part of the world has different issues that they're facing. I guess I kind of want to look at how you approach this and how your team approaches these different areas of the world. Well, I think I think first you have to go with the approach that it's not really a one size fits all. What we do in New York each September is that doesn't necessarily work in other parts of the world. But it's also, again, going back to we, we know our value. We know our lane. And, and where can we bring bring that value to fruition? So, for instance, in Europe, we have an 80-person summit. It's off the record. It's uh, focused on two specific subjects, and each session is quite extensive and quite long um, because we want it to be a really strong, deep dive into specific subjects and issues. The summit that we hold in the Amazon rainforest is 30 people. It is an immersive experience diving into... Um, to specific subjects around market-driven, nature-based solutions to saving the rainforest. Uh, the idea is to bring people who have never been to the rainforest to really understand what is happening there and how the market can drive important solutions to it. The, um, the summit that we hold in the United States is a smaller, rather simple one-day forum, but, but again, focused on a few specific issues that drive important issues of the day facing the American people. And then lastly, our, our summit focus on Latin America is really this pan-hemispheric, pan-Western hemispheric gathering that brings together leaders from across countries and, and, and business communities who, who need a platform by which to, to be represented and to do things. And so um, each one is really distinctive in that regard. So Concordia, I mean, the summit, you're really bringing together leaders in business, government, and NGOs 
all together to, to speak on different issues um, and again, to educate the public on, on these different things. So how does Concordia approach the challenge of fostering effective partnerships between mm. you know, businesses, governments, NGOs? Because I, I can only guess that these are very different, um, very different beasts. All, all of them. Yeah. All of them. So, so how does Concordia approach that, that challenge? Well, I think a big part of it is letting, you know, letting the convening speak for itself in terms of who we bring together, because there's so much that can happen in in the kind of environment that we facilitate at our summits and so much synergy that can develop. Um, and there's there is enormous potential there. And so um, so we let we, we think in advance of, of different groups that should get to know one another or be connected. But then we also create environments that are natural towards synergy and connecting. Um, and then, and then beyond that, we, we have a membership community globally that we're engaged with throughout the year, um, that we are, um, that we, we are constantly thinking about ways to connect and ways to, to bring people together. And I think that that has always been an important component of our, our value. It's not just about each summit, although each summit is a really important catalyst to that, but it is in fact about this ecosystem that we have that exists throughout the year specifically for our membership community. So one thing I'm very interested in is how you go about finding these, these super impressive speakers. I mean, as I look at the different summits in the past, jumps off the page, all of the different speakers, not just, not just looking at CEOs or prime ministers or former presidents, but you have this wide array of people that, that you have coming to the summit and to, and to speak. Uh-huh. And it makes it very attractive for someone like me to actually come to the summit because I, I want to hear these speakers speak. So how does Concordia, how do you go about finding these speakers? And are these speakers and, and these individuals, are they reaching out to Concordia sometimes to speak or is Concordia reaching out to them? Well, it took a few years of holding the summits until people actually started reaching out to us to speak, which was, which was a seminal moment. Um, it's, uh, you know, and, and you could make a lot of comparisons to different industries where you, you have those moments. Imagine creating a restaurant franchise where you get your first cold call wanting to franchise your restaurant. It's same sort of thing with Concordia. It was it was a few years of building a track record of of bringing together important leaders and and demonstrating the value add that we bring to the table. And then it was, um, you know, creating this this environment uh, that was conducive to um, to, to, to how we elevate issues and subjects and who are the people that, um, need to be there to address these issues and subjects and what does that look like? And so, um, that's always been a really important part of, of Concordia and, and what we've worked on. And so, um, in terms of, and I don't mean for this to sound coy, but honestly, a major part of how we've been able to recruit the speakers we've recruited is because we're consistently naive enough to ask. We, 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 we are always going to different people and saying, you're doing something fascinating on this subject. Will you come talk about it? And the worst that they can say is no. Um, but we, we spend a lot of time focusing on who are some top, top people that we can reach out to, um, that can bring a lot of, um, value that can, that, that have an interesting perspective. And there's one other piece that I think is very important and is, is a key part of Concordia's job in convening. And that is that we are not creating environments that are echo chambers, that it is not just a group of people that all agree with one another, because I don't see the value that that brings to anybody. And so I think that that's a very, very important piece to all of this. 
Yeah, you talk about the power of the ask. That, that's one thing that I've learned through this podcast is, you know, just just ask and, and, ask. Just, and just find out. I mean, I mean, I'll reach out to people all the time. You know, if yeah. I see that they're doing something interesting in sustainability, do I even hear a response from most of them? No. But again, what's the worst they can do? Either ghost you or say no. And yeah. no, I mean, actually, no, no is almost no is definitely better than ghosting because yes. no, no means they've got the respect for you to at least engage and take a look. But um, but yes, uh, we've been ghosted quite a bit in our time as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, looking ahead, Matthew, and obviously, like we talked about it from from 2011 until now, how much Concordia has grown and all that you've been able to achieve. You know, what are some of the most important goals and priorities for the organization and how do you plan to achieve them? So going forward, I think um, our goal is is to continue to expand on the annual summit, not necessarily in the number of people, but more in, in terms of its relevance. We want to be out front on different issues and subjects, and we want to continue to make sure that we're bringing value to the community that we convene. For the regional summits, it's it's for them to grow, but in, in ways that are genuine and, and, and also bringing value in those situations. And this is, we used to sort of do a one size fits all type model of our summits, but this is the first year where each summit is so distinctive and so different. Um, and so that that's an important piece. Um, I think also for success, it's it's we've been we've been institutionalizing a lot about Concordia. Um, when you're getting something started, you don't always have the time, the bandwidth, the capability to think through certain things that you then learn later on. And so we've spent a lot of time creating formalized processes on a number of different fronts within Concordia that will help make Concordia successful for the long term. And so, um, you know, all of those kind of coming together represent uh, a really important part of of success uh, in terms of how I look at it. One thing I think that's brilliant is what you have done and what Concordia has done with the Swift Hour, you know, bringing bringing these 30 minutes episode or, or, or talks or less to the public and where you're speaking to you know, these, these world leaders, you're talking to innovators, you're talking to, you know, people that are, that are affecting real change. Um, and that's one thing again, that I, that I would think, wow, this is, this is really cool because like I said, not everyone can come to a summit, but if you can provide value to people where they can just look at a video and they can learn something, that's, that's really cool. So taking that digital transformation from COVID and then now morphing that into what is the swift hour now, it's it's really going to provide a lot of value, and I think that's that's the ultimate goal of Concordia, right? Is is bridging people together and creating value and, and providing education for people. Well, no, I'm mean, I'm extremely excited. It's something I've always wanted to do. We launched it last September, as you said. It's a one-on-one uh, interview series with with very interesting people on a wide array of subjects. Uh, a little bit of a play on my last name because it's you know the Swift Hour, so every interview is less than thirty minutes. Um, but uh, really, really excited about it. And we've been, we're still rolling out our, our first season, if you will. Um, and then we'll, we'll have a whole new season of interviews that will come out again late fall. And so all of these are in person, is that correct? Yeah, yeah they're all in person and they all happen at the annual summit in New York. So I, okay. um, you know, one of the, my main jobs at the annual summit is to hold those conversations. And then, you know, we, we, we package them in a way that I think is, uh, a little bit more um, uh, to you know, directed to a to a broader audience to learn about different subjects that they might not know much about. We we did everything from interview uh, you know billionaire investor David Rubenstein on his uh, new book that 
uh, talks about what makes good investors, all the way to the daughter of a gentleman who had been wrongfully imprisoned in Venezuela in her process to negotiate his release and when people's lives come in the way of significant foreign policy issues. And so really, really excited about uh, this this season and excited to have uh, another season come out later this year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible, incredible idea, incredible mission. Um, so, so Matthew, this this podcast is called The Green Hour because we dive into sustainability and we, and we look at different areas of sustainability and environmentalism. So um, Concordia, one thing that I love that you do is this big initiative for sustainability. I mean, at your annual summit, you hold entire talks on sustainability where you bring leaders, again, from, from, business, from the business world, from the government world, from NGOs. The first question I have for you with sustainability is how does the Concordia Summit engage with sustainability and environmental issues? So first, to your point, I think we hold a lot of sessions on environmental sustainability, which is what we call that programmatic theme. And, uh, and, and, and it's one of our most popular series because I think we believe that the market brings important issues to solving some of the most critical environmental issues. And, and who is against a clean environment? Um, who is against clean air, clean water? Um, who, you know, who is against recycling? The question is, how does the market bring solutions to help us address these issues? And how do you do it in a way that is also inclusive of, of companies that are on the front lines on a lot of issues? I think at Concordia, we don't believe in saying, no, an industry can't participate in this subject because they're, for instance, from the fossil fuel industry. And in fact, what we say is if you exclude them from the table, you lose important opportunities to um, to see where they might bring solutions to the table because the market is is having an impact on their desire and need to do that. And so that's that's where Concordia, again, going back to this place of where do we bring value? We bring value because of that environment that we create. So from your experience in the summit and obviously the transformation of environmentalism, what are some of the most pressing sustainability challenges that you see facing the world today? I think I think there's a couple. I think uh, first, you you talked a little bit about Nate Morris, and I think that he he really identified the problem of landfills, and I think that there is a lot um, a lot to be addressed in terms of how we handle our waste, how we handle recycling. So I think that is a, a very important issue. I think we've done quite a bit on conservation uh, more broadly, how to protect lands, how to protect species, and I think that's also important long term. Uh, I think ocean cleanliness is a really important element as well. Uh, the levels of waste in the ocean are alarming, and I think that we all we all again can agree that that having a clean ocean is is important for the world, and having clean water is important for the world. So I think those are three areas where there's a lot that can be done. That I think the most important element here, though, is we believe that industry can have the greatest effect on it. You can pass all the regulations that you want, but if you can follow market-driven solutions to these issues where companies can grow and thrive by also being sustainable, that, in my view, will bring the best results uh, to, to some of these issues. So, so I'm interested, at, at these summits um, that you have around the world and then your annual summit, does Concordia promote and encourage sustainability, let's say, with, with composting stations, with maybe a recycling station? Is this yeah. something that you have morphed into, yeah. into the summits? 
Yeah, we've also invested quite, or I guess rather, we have pulled back from investing in a lot of things that I think different event groups invest in. There's enormous waste in the event space. Um, and, and that's, you know, each, each to one's own and how they run their events, but we've actually focused on making things less, uh, you know, well, more sustainable. So we don't invest as much in printed products. We don't invest in things that we find to be wasteful. We really try to keep things simplified as much as possible. Um, and, and so when you come into our summits compared to even a few years ago, you know, there are, there's less trappings for sure. It's a more simplified setup and arrangement, but it also, um, it also is, uh, I think representative of where we need to go as a society. We even with a summit that we're holding, um, at the end of July, focused on the Amazon rainforest, we even had to put in materials given the caliber of some of the people coming to say, you are not allowed to fly a private plane to come to this event, uh, because you cannot drop the. Uh, you know, carbon footprint of a small town while going to learn more about how to save the environment. And so I think that you got to walk the walk and talk the talk. And that's something that we're, we're focused on being really genuine at Concordia about. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize until I started researching and diving into the sustainability space, how much waste is in events. Um, Recently, I think a couple episodes ago, I had um, the head of sustainability for the Atlanta Hawks and State Farm Arena on the show, um, Sophie Emma Armanakian, Um, And she spoke on the Atlanta Hawks and the arena and and all the cool things that they're doing. And it's Mm -hmm. phenomenal. I mean, they were, you know, the first arena in the world to achieve true um, zero waste certification. So they divert 90 percent of all waste away from landfills in the arena. So it's really cool to see success stories like that. We're obviously still a far uh, way away. But um, it, it is cool to see. And, and like I said, the event space has has a lot of waste and we have to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I want to dive into, Matthew, is the successful partnerships and initiatives that Concordia has launched in the past, particularly those in sustainability. Could you speak on those? Say, say that one more time. I'm sorry. So looking at successful partnerships and initiatives around sustainability that um, Concordia has done in the past. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is, okay, what are genuine responses to sustainability and to the environment? And what does what does that look like? And what can companies bring to the table there? So I think you've seen incredible work by companies like Coca-Cola focused on, uh, on water, for instance, and water plays such a huge role in manufacturing in terms of Coca-Cola products. You look at other companies that have really tried to reduce their plastic consumption. Um, and I think that is, is a really important element. You look at a company like Walmart that not only talks about what Walmart's commitments are, including going landfill free, um, uh, you know, in, uh, I think it was 2025, but don't quote me on that commitment, but Walmart going landfill free, which was really important, but also how can Walmart's standards given their power with supply chains and power with groups that come in, um, uh, can, can trickle down. So that's an example where a company can have huge impact on different subjects and issues as long as it, as long as it sees the whole ecosystem that it's operating in. And that's also why if you're holding a conversation on something specific, so say you're holding a conversation on uh, manufacturing, you have to include in that conversation, not just the manufacturers, but where you're sourcing the materials from. And also you've got to, you've got to incorporate the retailers in that process because 
In fact, the retailers is what's representative of the buying market that in, that is calling for higher demands on more sustainable products. So I think those are sort of three examples where you have the private sector leading on things that that I don't think would have happened um, had you not seen that leadership from the private sector side. So Matthew, we're going to wrap up here, but one question I wanted to ask you is, um, over your time with Concordia in the summit, could you could you allude and talk to one experience, one of the most memorable experiences you've had um, during your time with the summit? That's a great question, um, and it's 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 almost too numerous to count. Um, I think that, um, gosh, that's a great question, uh, and one where you think I would have a canned answer, but I, it's funny. I just I don't. Um, I think, you know, I think the first time being on stage interviewing a former president of the United States, I think that was a, a really important moment for me personally. Um, and, and, a, and a really incredible to think about, you know, growing up in Charlottesville and, um, and, and, and then not too long after sitting on stage with a former U.S. president. And now I've, I've had the opportunity to, to meet and engage with the last five U.S. presidents. Uh, so I think that's that's been incredible. But I think more than anything, it's the one of the most rewarding things has been about paying it forward. Um, I think the I had so many opportunities given to me um, that have been because other people gave me a chance, gave me an opportunity. And that was hugely impactful. Um, and, and so I like to, in turn, be able to do that for others. And so with some of the schools that I was fortunate enough to attend to, they'll bring different students. Um, uh, so I think that, that being able to see students that are at the same institutions that I got the good fortune to go to when I was a kid to then come to the summits and and meet different people and, and, and have opportunities open up for themselves that they might not otherwise have. Um, that to me is, is probably one of the biggest rewards. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, it, it means a lot to me because it's the only reason I'm here today is because others took a risk on me and gave me opportunity. Um, and yeah, I've worked hard for it and there's no question that I've worked really hard for all of this. Um, but I wouldn't have been possible if I didn't have certain opportunities. And, and I, I get a lot of reward from helping others have those same opportunities. Yeah, but that's incredible to see. Um, well, well, Matthew, thank you so much again for joining the Green Hour and spreading all of all of your experience and your expertise, and 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 really just talking about these key issues. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you again for coming on, Preston. Great job, and congratulations again on the the Green Hour, and uh, and it was a real pleasure to be with. You.